Okay, nurses, picture yourself working one-on-one with each patient. You get to spend time understanding their unique needs and goals for recovery. No more rushing from one overwhelming situation to the next. Instead, you dedicate your time to personalized care. Isn't that why we all stepped into healthcare in the first place? If this sounds like something you might be interested in, Centerwell Home Health is looking for committed individuals like you. They offer competitive pay, numerous career growth opportunities, and get this, employee benefits kick in from day one. And yes, they also understand your need for a work-life balance. Centerwell has locations all over, so there's a good chance you'll find an opportunity right near you. So, switch to a career where you can provide the care you always wanted to. Visit centerwellcareers.com forward slash nurse to search for jobs near you. Hey, nurses. Welcome to the Nurse Dot Podcast, giving nurses validation, resources, and hope one episode at a time. Today on Nurse Dot Podcast. You get that relationship and it, it's a binding situation, especially for somebody with cancer. It's binding for us and it makes us feel secure and like we care and we matter. Welcome to part one of a very special two-part series. Joining us today is a touching trio. Cosmo, a man who has been fighting multiple myeloma for 16 years his wife and caregiver, Barbara, and his longtime nurse and friend, Stacy. Their journey narrates a tale of resilience, care, love, and friendship. As they reminisce about their shared experiences, they shed light on the immense power of human connection in healthcare, revealing how connections can transcend beyond the confines of a hospital room and deeply touch lives. I'm your host, Kara Lunsford, registered nurse, and VP of Community at Nurse.com. Well, I'm really excited to have this interview with all of you. So I will just let you know all of our listeners know we have three incredible people here on the podcast today. We've got Barbara Morton. Stacey Boetto, if I'm mispronouncing anybody's name, please tell me. Cosmo Tadone. That's correct. In Italy and half the people in the United States say Tadone. My family says Tadone. Tadone. Well, I always go with whatever the family says. Like when people say, how do you pronounce your name? I'm like, my mother says Kara. That's what my mother says. So I'm really excited to have all of you here. I'm going to start with Koss. I, I'm going to call you Koss because I want, I, I think of you as a friend, even though I don't know you that well. Um, <laughs> and so after the interview. At the end of the interview, when he's like, you can call me Cosmo, I'll be like, oh, ooh. Oh, ouch. Ouch, bad interview. So Cosmo, tell us a little bit about yourself and because we're talking today about just nurse-patient relationships and in this context, you are the patient. That's correct. Well, I guess I'll I'll start with my uh, battle of cancer. I mean, personally, I am an attorney. Uh, I own a practice with my wife, Barbara, uh, who's also on the uh, podcast, and we own a small law firm. 
About 16 years ago, I got diagnosed with multiple myeloma, which was a, a shocking experience just to get diagnosed. And I can remember when I was first uh, tested, I had a lot of pain in my back and I wanted to get an MRI, but the court, of course, the doctors would not approve it. When they finally approved it, they noticed that something was there. My one general practitioner said it was bone cancer. And as I learned later, there's no way he can define what I have until they do a PET scan and those other things. It scared the crap out of me. I went on the internet, said I had less than a year to live because it metastasized. So I found a great doctor locally who did not really uh, focus on most myeloma at all, Dr. Uh, Gustafson. And she referred me to uh, Northwestern. And when they took the biopsy and we had great surgeons, they said it could either be a plasmacytoma or it could be most myeloma. The good news, if it was plasmacytoma, it would just be one spot, radiation, I'd be done. So I remember uh, once I got the biopsy and they said it was cancer, I went downtown and I had a consultation with an oncologist. And she says, I got some good news and some bad news for you. I'm like, okay, I'm thinking good news, it's a plasmacytoma. So she goes, you have uh, most myeloma and you got five plus years to live. From then on, I shut down. I don't remember what else she said. I do remember me saying, excuse my French, what the fuck is the good news? And I remember by the time that I got out to the car, I just broke down crying. So once I got the grasp of that, uh, then it had to be, okay, uh, what kind of treatment am I going to get? So for 16 years, I've had five stem cell transplants, a CAR-T transplant, I've had a uh, immunotherapy, which was a week in the hospital to get used to that. I've had a right shoulder reverse replacement, and I fractured my humerus, so I got a bone pins and screws. So about a couple of years ago, they said, basically, there's no more treatment that they know to give me. The cancer is getting out of control. It was in my spine, my liver, my scapula. It was in my skull, so it was very, you know, traumatic for me knowing, okay, this could be the end. But of course, technology advances, and they always find something. And I'm on immunotherapy that seemed to help me greatly. But through this whole process, I would have made it through without my connections with my nurses and my doctors, like Stacy, who was one of my first oncology nurses. We ended becoming uh, friends, and now we're actually close friends. We live a mile away, and there's a lot of stuff we do together, but she's helped me through that process. So that's kind of where I am at today in my cancer journey. Well, first first off, so happy that you're still here with us. Yeah, I mean, what a long, long journey. And, and a really a testament to you as a human being, your will to live and your tenacity and clearly the support systems that you have around you, which probably really lend themselves to. And let me say, you don't really know what a caregiver is going through because I know my journey is, okay, I've got to fight. My wife, without her, I would not have made it through that. But a story that I remember is that I would break down emotionally. I tried to hide it. She would always be strong in front of me. But one night I heard her go into the other room and start crying. And she didn't know that I knew that, but she is my everything. So she's gotten me through a lot of these experiences. So speaking of your incredibly strong wife, who is here with us, Barbara, 
How has this been for you being on this journey? And also, did you have any experience prior to this ever having to do any kind of caretaking or anything to that extent? So tell us just like a little bit about yourself because we want to, you're, Barbara, you're more than, you're more than a wife, you're more than a caretaker, you're, you know, you are a human with your own dreams and aspirations and talents. So just tell us a little bit about yourself and then just kind of your experience. Well, uh, Cosmo and I met in law school. He came from Connecticut. I came from Colorado. We ended up in Illinois. As far as caregiving, I never thought of myself as a caregiver, but I learned a lot of it from my dad because my dad took care of my mom all the way until her passing. So I kind of learned it by watching. And at the end of the day, you know, it's his journey and I'm there to support that journey. Certainly, I'm, I'm sitting there thinking, listening to the story, you know, it's been 16 years. What he doesn't tell you is we had gotten married that year. So here we are, we just newly married, and within a couple of months, he's diagnosed with cancer. That's not something you think that you're going to have the first year of your marriage. You know, you're thinking that's 20, 30 years down the road. It's something that you're going to learn. I have seen so much in the 16 years since his diagnosis. I've done more things than I ever thought I would have the capacity to do and certainly wouldn't want to have to do, but I had to. You know, we have to be there to support each other. And like they say in the your vows, in good times and bad, we've had some very bad times and we've had some really good times. So one of the, the benefits that Cosmo and I have had is to have Stacy. Just so surprising that we had such a connection with Stacy and, and her husband, Jeff. I have to tell you, we've, we've called Stacy in the middle of the night saying, hey, he's got a fever. He's got this. You know, she's asleep. She's got a migraine headache, everything, and you know, comes over. over, runs over. I mean, she took us to Edward Hospital. She was in the emergency room. She has gone above what you would think a nurse would be. And I, we are so grateful for the friendship and for, well, the close proximity <laughs> to our house. <laughs> but we could not have done as well as we have without the friendship, but certainly the friendship of Stacy, who has the nursing experience and doesn't flinch, you know, she's seen it. She's seen it all. And what Barb doesn't also tell you is she had to learn a lot of things. I've had lines, whether it's cap lines in my chest or a pick line. She has to be the one that flushes it twice a day, give me fluids, something I don't think she ever thought about. She'd even learn or know how to do. She was nervous at first. But once we had gotten it in there, it was like she was born to do this. It was so quick, so fast, even changing my bandages, which is not a fun thing to do because you don't want to rip anything uh, out. But if she's done a lot and learned a lot as a caregiver, well, as my wife, my partner. But I learned it from Stacy. Stacy showed <laughs> me the first time. And there are, so she's a t great teacher, too. Not just uh -huh. a nurse, not just a friend, but a great teacher. Well, you've got to give us some money later on. I was going to say, this is going to cost me. <laughs> I was like, wow, these are, you know, this is some great endorsement for you. Stacey, if you decide to go out on your own and, uh, <laughs> and start your own practice, you've got some really, really great, some great endorsements. <laughs> yeah, right. And they're attorneys uh, on, on bonus, right? I know. I was like, so they're like credible people. <laughs> I, didn't go that far. I was going to say, we are attorneys. <laughs> 
<laughs> Very funny side note. And then I'm going to like tag you, Stacey. So speaking of credible people, I was listening to a podcast yesterday with my son and it was the Tig and Cheryl True Story podcast. And it's where they actually go in and they analyze a documentary. So they watch a documentary and then they come on and they basically tell you about the documentary from their perspective, they're both comedians. And so the one that they were reviewing was the Sasquatch documentary that I guess is on Hulu. And they were joking that the people who were the witnesses of the Sasquatch were not exactly like credible people. They were saying like, oh, you know, they're out in Mendocino County, like in a pot patch. Yeah. And they actually used the word pot patch, which I thought was hilarious, like a pumpkin patch, but like for marijuana. And uh, <laughs> and so they were like, that's the credible source. So I was like, it made, totally made me think of you and your credible sources here. Um, they, they're much more credible than the guys in the pot patch in Mendocino County. I'm just going to say that. That's not giving us that much of credibility. Though. <laughs> no. It's a little step above. <laughs> <laughs> so... It, well, it's such a testament to who you are, Stacy, as a practitioner that, you know, you would go above and beyond. And it sounds like geographically, you're pretty close also to this, this wonderful couple. So tell me, like, from your perspective, when you first met them, was it immediately like you just hit it off? It was one of those things. And then how did it kind of become what it is today? It's kind of funny because Cosmo comes in. He had some IV issues, right? Wasn't always like an easy stick for some people. And then, you know, here I am. I'm like, oh, that that, that that's easy. That's cool. So one of the girls like, Cece, can you come over? Now, Cosmo, I love him, but he knows I could say this. And Barb knows I could say this. But Cosmo was deemed as a little bit difficult to deal with, you know, in our facility. But, you know, I, and why I was that safe? Because it took more than two picks on me. So that was not fun. No, and Cosmo is very much an advocate. And when there's something going on, he's like, okay, well, what's what's going on? What are my numbers? You know, he he would come in, get his port flushed, whatever, and we would draw labs. And so he's like, okay, well, where are my labs? What are my labs? What does this mean? Where am I at? So as a patient, you have a right to know. It's not like I'm going to draw your labs. It's a secret. I can't tell you. It seems like that kind of is a thing in healthcare, right? And so Cosmo, like he said, he was a little bit of, you know, some of the people had a little bit harder times with it. So the first time was one of the girls sitting next to me is, um, you know, we're in this big infusion suite, right? And so our, we have our desks and we have our little pods. So there's four chairs for all of us to do our infusions. And we're all in this big room that my desk is facing this way. So I can see all of this if somebody else's patients have, you know, an issue and this person's facing this way so they could see this and, you know, this one's facing this way. So we can all keep our eyes on people's patients because sometimes we have our backs. We're taking care of somebody for us. And so one of the girls is like, hey, Cece, I kind of heard a little bit of commotion. Like, can you come over and see if you can start his IV? I said, sure. And she pulls me off to the side and says, I'm so sorry, but like, I just, I can't get it. And he's really frustrated with me. I was like, no worries. So I just come over, I introduce myself, you know, and Cosmo's a little bit kind of like, you know, she's going to be sticking me all the time, this and that, you know, and how long is it going to take her? And, and basically he's like, do you know what you're doing? And I was like, mm, well, I'm going to see if I can wing it, you know? And he's kind of like... <laughs> And I'm just trying to get some humor, you know, like first time, you know, whatever. But so I get it in and he's like, you got it. And I go, yeah, I go, but does it work? Yes. <laughs> you know? I don't remember any of this, probably because they gave me IV uh, Benadryl. 
Well, it was that was before. That was before. But yeah, he was like, is it going to work? I was like, yeah. Cosmo, you have to have an IV before you can get IV Benadryl. I'm just going to like call you out on that right off the bat. I know, yeah. <laughs> First IV, then IV Benadryl. <laughs> when you're on the IV Benadryl, you can't remember which was which. <laughs> and so just from there, he says, can she start my IV from now on? I was like, I'll start it. You know, I'll, I'll be here. I'm here usually. Like, yeah, sure. And the other nurse is like, he's yours now. I was like, okay, cool. And then at some point it was funny because I knew that he was an attorney, but I didn't know every little aspect of it. And then all of a sudden I start giving him his medications, all that kind of stuff, waiting for his chemo to be mixed and all that in the pharmacy. And next thing you know, I see here's this little girl comes in, big stack of manila envelopes. And here I am, mama nurse. And then he's, you know, got some Benadryl and I'm thinking... What in the actual hell is this lady doing? Comes over, brings him this big old stack and they're talking this and that. I'm watching and I was like, is that your secretary? He goes, that's my wife. And I was like, oh, that's not going to be good. (laughs) Okay, what are we doing? And he's like, oh, she's bringing me all this stuff for, you know, court documents and some other things that I just want to sit and look over, you know? And I was like, okay, you really shouldn't be doing anything right now. Just sit back and relax. And he's like, I can't. I was like, you need to learn to sit back and relax. So it was just kind of from that moment, it's like, when, I, when people are a little crabby and cranky, I always take the back stance and it's like, okay, they don't feel good. They're in my home now and they feel like this is not their home and they don't have control. And I don't like for people to feel like that. So I try to let them have as much control as they can. Obviously, you know, you understand. And so I think Cosmo and I just kind of jived with that is I understood he didn't feel good. And I understood he wanted answers, especially with his diagnosis. I would too. And if this were my family member, my friends, I would also want them to have those answers to know where we're going, what we're doing. Are you a nurse looking to bring the care back to healthcare? Centerwell Home Health might be just the place for you. Centerwell offers you the opportunity to provide the personalized one-on-one care you've always envisioned, right in the comfort of the patient's home. Plus, Centerwell is deeply committed to maintaining your work-life balance so you can finally make it to your kid's soccer game or that mid-morning yoga class. With locations stretching across the U.S., your perfect opportunity could be just around the corner. Visit centerwellcareers.com forward slash nurse today and start making a difference where it matters most at home. It just became like, I want her to do it. He would call over and say, you know, hey, I'm running late because I had a trial. Well, you know, you have to keep your schedule. You can't do this. Now you're pushing everybody else. And I'm like, just tell them to come in. I'll take care of it. I took care of what we needed to take care of to make sure that the patient got what he needed. We can't stop his treatment. We can't alter that treatment. That's not our call as nurses. So it just kind of bloomed from there. And, you know, Karen, all honesty, I was trying to think of where did it come from? Where did it transpire? Where did, where did it go from, you know, these are, this is my patient and his family member to now I consider them family, you know, and I don't even remember like the whole aspect. We just kind of fell into it. It happens that way. I think it happens very organically. And I've never, myself, I've never been one that's had maybe what they would consider great boundaries when it comes to that. In fact, very early on in my career as a nurse, maybe a couple of years in, I discovered that there was a 
a patient that we were taking care of who was in a foster home. And the foster home just happened to be down the street from my friend's house, who's now my wife. And I felt like I should provide an extra level of support knowing that he was in a foster care and he had his leg removed and he was young. And I remember the day I got called into my manager's office and it's a different situation when you've got kids and stuff like that involved. So, you know, you guys are all adults. It's a different story. But, you know, it was kind of like, this is inappropriate. And I just remember feeling like, oh. <gasps> inappropriate. Like the word inappropriate just resonated in my head. It shook me down to my core. And I thought, that's like the worst thing you could ever say to me, that I'm doing something inappropriate. Has that ever happened for you, Stacey, like with Cosmo, where anyone's ever said, you know, this blurs the patient-nurse boundary or relationship? Have you ever had that? Well, I think we became better friends afterwards because she didn't stay at the infusion place I was at for a very long time. So we made a connection and I think we really developed our friendship and everything later on. And so I don't think anybody would see anything as being inappropriate. But now later on, they would say, oh, you know, Stacy, you're good friends with Stacy. But no one says anything. Yeah. Dr. G, though, she knew because I stayed, I was there for about a year and a half. So you started in and I saw you for about a year. But G always said, you know, because I guess Cosmo and Barb had said something one day. I know, Stacey, because your first house was a few miles away from me. I know that there was something, um, I can't remember. Well, Stacey's not that far from me. And she's already said, if you need something. And G's like, comes out to me and she goes, I think it's awesome that you guys have that relationship and that they trust you for that. I was like, well, don't you trust me, Dr. G? And she's like, no, I do trust you. But she goes, I think it's awesome. But I did have that same thing, Kara, happen to me with a patient who they forgot her. This is when I was working in cardiology and they forgot to pick her up after her testing and her doctor's appointment. <laughs> and so she's an older lady and she's sitting there and I'm like trying to walk out the door and it's all closed up. And I was like, what, what's going on? How can I help you? They forgot her. I took her home and I actually was going to get written up. And that's the only time that I ever got, you're going to get written up for this. Because I took somebody home. They're like, well, you put yourself in jeopardy. But no, we had no other way home. So we couldn't reach her family or anything. I was like, what am I supposed to do? Put her in a cab and hope she gets home. <laughs> it's being human. And I, I think that I'm hoping listeners will take from listening to this story is that sometimes the lines get blurred and sometimes it is hard. Sometimes you get really close with a family. But I always used to say like, I don't want the alternative of I'm not getting close to my patients. I keep a distance. I have a wall up. I'd rather grieve the loss of someone and know that I had an impact or that I made an, a difference in their lives and that they made a difference in my life right? than to say, I really towed that corporate line or I really made sure that I had these very, very strong boundaries, you know, it's tough, you know, and I think for new nurses, it's especially hard because you're kind of like, people want to be black and white. They want the, it's okay. It's not okay. It, yes, no. And that's not the real world. And you miss out in, on really incredible relationships. So now you guys have known each other. So it's been six, has it been 16 years that you've actually, you known each other since the very beginning? 2010 mm. is when I started in the infusion center. So about so three years after. About three years. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. Three years after he got diagnosed. So you've been with us for 13 of the, of the 16. Yeah. I was going to say, we also have a really good relationship with our nurse practitioners that are at Northwestern. We know all about their lives. They know about our lives. 
we know when they're not there. We, you know, Amanda's not there. Before it was Kelly, it was just like somebody had dropped the ball, you know, oh, I don't want to go through the whole story of everything I've been through. You get that relationship and it it's a binding situation, especially for somebody with cancer. It's binding for us and it makes us feel secure and like we care and we matter. And when talking about these relationships, I think back on my 16 years and it's been my journey, no better, no worse than anybody else's. But I've been through so much, so many hospital stays. I begged God to take me multiple times. But when I think back and I look at the 16 years, I don't think about that. What pops out mostly is the good doctors and nurses, the relationships that we had. And unfortunately, even some of the bad ones pop out. I remember trying to get an IV one time, seven times. They tried my arm at a home visit and they had to get a supervisor. What stands out? It's relationships like Amanda and Kelly, who are nurses at Northwestern, who know everything about me. We know things about them. Same thing with Stacy, Dr. G, Dr. Meta. So those are the memories that pop up first when I think about my disease, more than the battles that I've been through. So it, it is very important having that relationship, knowing they know you better than you even know yourself. And do you feel, Cosmo, that having those types of relationships, do you credit being here much longer than maybe your prognosis originally was? If it weren't for Dr. Maida, because he is my doctor at Northwestern, I actually challenged him and went to Mayo Clinic several times. Each time they went to Mayo Clinic, they made me feel good, but they gave me the wrong direction. And it put me at a negative and, you know, back on my treatment because the cancer got worse. Dr. Maida talks to you. He thinks out of the box. And I had three tumors on my skull that were resistant to all treatment. Out of the blue, he took me off the two chemos, put me on a chemo that I've never tried that's been out there more than these others. And it reduced the cancer load significantly and got me ready for the immunotherapy. Without my team, the people in place here, I guarantee I would not be here today. And also my uh, support, which is my life. I think a big part of what I hear you saying, and, and Barbara, I'll ask you as well, because you're the spouse in this situation, the development of trust is huge, especially in these lengthy journeys, because there are going to be times when you just don't know which way to go especially when you've exhausted all of your therapies, you have to try new and out-of-the-box things. Being able to trust your practitioners is huge, and it doesn't take much to undermine that trust. In your experience, and, and I'll ask you, Barbara, how has it been for you in developing those relationships, not as the patient, but as the spouse of the patient? Has it been difficult to create those relationships with the practitioners or has it been pretty easy? Well, I, let me say one thing before Barb starts. She's also my advocate. She goes on to all these seminars for my disease. She looks up the uh, new type of treatments, bring those format to our doctor who may not even know about those. So she's proactive in that aspect too. Has that been well-received, Barbara? Because sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's not, but the team that we have around us now is well-received. And as far as I'm concerned, it's Cosmo's life. It's his decision, but we got to give him every opportunity, every avenue to go down. And if they aren't willing to do it, then I don't want them in, involved. And that's usually always my first thing is I'm here 
as an advocate for Cosmo. And I, if he doesn't want something, then we're not going to do it. But we're going to make sure that he has the full knowledge of it. And trust me, he said to me more than enough times, I don't want to live anymore. I want to call it ends. And I'm like, well, you know, that's your choice, but I don't think it's time. So fuck up. Let's find something and do something new. So I need people around me that were willing to take that initiative and that I might not have a medical as you guys do. But I'm going to learn as much as I can. And I want you guys to be positive and be honest, but positive. Think out the bo- outside the box. I'm tired of people saying, well, this is the traditional way. Don't tell me it's a traditional. Go another avenue. And if you're not on that boat, you're not part of our team. And, you know, I have to be the advocate for Cosmo. And that's what he would want. And that's what I want. And the people that are around us today, Stacy, Dr. G, Dr. Maida, Amanda, Kelly, all them are because they admire the fact that I question it and Cosmo questions it and does think outside the box. Stacy, do you ever have to jump in or do you feel like you have to jump in sometimes where you're the friend, but you were also the nurse and now you feel like, okay, he's being seen by a different set of practitioners. It's tough sometimes because you're trying to navigate something that can be a territory that sometimes they don't want you treading possessive. in. When he, I was trying to think of like a word, I'm like, possessive is exactly the right word for that. And I've had this experience too as a nurse where I'm a nurse. You don't work here. You don't know this. All right. Well, so how has that been for you as the friend who has also been the nurse who has all this historical information about him? A perfect example, <clears throat> Barb will say, one of the, it was on Easter a couple of years ago, Cosmo was not doing really well and it was a rainy night. It was in the evening and we get a phone call. I need you over here. And it's a panicked Barb and Barb is never panicked. And so immediately my spidey senses went up and she's like, Cece, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. And I've tried everything and I don't know what to do. And I was like, I'll be right there. And my husband's like, I'm running around the house at that point because I have my PJs on, you know, and I'm trying to put socks on and it's pouring down and I'm just trying to get everything. And I'm on the phone. I'm like, stay there, stay there. I'm coming, you know, this and that. And just kind of looks at me and I was like, I got to go to Cosmo and Barb's really quick. And he's like, I'll be right there. I'll get the car ready. Get your stuff. Let's go. So we jumped over there. I was up there for a while. And then finally I said, you know what? It's time for us to go to the hospital. Not that he wanted to, but he was that sick to where I said, it's time for us to take him. Well, before we went to the hospital, uh, I was having uncontrollable shakes and it's COVID. So we don't know what's going on. Uh, And then I had the worst migraine headache in my life. And we found out eventually that it was an infection in the PICC line. But she did everything to calm me down. She got me something for the uh, migraine headache. Thank God, because it was just getting bad. And then she took control and we just let her do her thing. Yeah. You can finish your story. Sorry, I mean, no, you're fine. No, no, no. That's exactly what Carol wants to hear, like the interaction and that and how we are. But he was sick and Barb usually is very well composed. And I knew that she was like, I I don't know what to do. And she didn't want to see him like that. And so, you know, I sat with her. I sat with him. She was right there by us the whole time. You know, she doesn't leave. And we get in the car. We're taking him and it's COVID. So only one person is allowed to come in. Barb says, Stacey, you go. I said, I'm sorry, what? She wanted me to go sit in the emergency room with him. She said, you know everything. I want you to just go in there, get the information, tell them what they need to know about him. You relay it back. You just go with him. I said, but Barbara, she's like, just go in with him. I would rather you go. I was like, okay. 
So, I mean, to have that trust, there is that thing. And, and, you know, there'll be like times that, you know, Barb will be like, yeah, I don't think, you know, we don't want to do that. I don't think that's going to work. I make a suggestion or say something, you know, and we got to look at it as like she says. and, And that's one thing I always respect about Barb. She's like, this is his journey. This is his decision. But she always likes to make sure that he has that educated decision and that we give him the options, not just say, this is what we're doing, like it or not. And so it's that respect that we can have those conversations and she can say, yeah, no, we're not going to do that. I don't like that idea. And Kaz will be like, yeah, no, I don't like that idea. It's that respect. As far as I don't know what they do say about you know me to the other providers or anything like that, but I am very respectful of that is their realm. I am their friend. I am an educated person and I'm going to help them how I can. But in the end, that is going to be their decision. But it's also very awesome that I know when he's going to go get his treatment and, you know, hey, how's it going? He, when he was doing, was it the CAR T cells that you were doing that you were in the hospital? Like they had to drop you with everything and you were in there for like weeks at a time. Yeah, the CAR T, they modified the T cell. And he was stuck in here. And every day I would take some kind of goofy picture and send it to him every day because he felt like crap. And he's like, Stacey, I don't want to be here anymore. I'm like, I, I can't. And then he was, you know, he'd have his issues and he'd start having some problems. And Barb would be updating me immediately. And I'd be like, how are you doing? How are you feeling? And if he didn't answer, I knew that he wasn't doing well. And so Barb, you know, I'd be like, how's it going? Where's Where, where are we at with this? They go and have a test. They leave the doctor's office and they let me know the results. And I also want to know, Not because I'm being nosy and I'm putting my nose in, but because I have that relationship with them, you know, and when it wasn't, you know, too long ago, that cause wasn't doing the greatest, like he said, and they said, you know, we've exhausted everything and it's worse than what it was. And I just hung up the phone after my husband's like, what's wrong? What's wrong? I went outside and sat for a while because I just couldn't even say it. I said it and he's like, oh my God. It's kind of like what you said before, your doctor's being honest. When I got a PET scan that was horrific, I remember Dr. Mada looking at it. And he's always tries to get a little positive. He just turned to me and said, it's not good. And so we knew right there that it was worse than we thought it was. And that's kind of what Stacey's telling you. It yep. kind of blew me away, to be honest with you. So that was, how long ago was that, that you had this like kind of turn? A year ago, Bob, or two years? Uh, it was 21. Yeah, the, T, the CAR T-cell was January 21. And what makes matters even worse is before he went to the hospital to do it, he tested positive for COVID. And so they put it in a separate room by himself, and I couldn't be there. Nobody else but the doctors could be there. You know, you can imagine how bad off he was emotionally. And that drove both of us up the wall. She's with me every transplant, getting down. She brings me up. She forces me to eat, brings me outside food. And without her, all that is gone. And then add in COVID, and they don't let you go outside that room. <laughs> no visitors, no outside that room. That was the worst year, 21, is because of that reason. Join us next week for part two of this very special two-part series. If you are a nurse or nursing student who enjoyed this episode, don't forget to join us on the Nurse.com app, where you can find the Nurse.discussion group, a place where we dissect each episode in detail and delve deeper into today's topics. Nurse Dot is a Nurse.com original podcast series. Production, music, and sound editing by Don Lunsford. Production coordination by Rhea Wade. Additional editing by John Wells. 
Thank you to all the listeners for tuning in to the Nurse Dot Podcast. Until next time, keep spreading the love and the care.